Welcome to Story Smack. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to our lovely movie review show, Story Smack. Today we are talking about Spaceballs, a 1980s throwback parody of Star Wars. Uh, did you find it? I, I, well, I did, but I'm wrong. Um, it looks like they had a, P, a PBS series called Sneak Previews from 1975 yes, to 1982. That's it. And then Siskel and Ebert show um, debuted in September of 86, and okay. this came out in June of 87. What are we drinking? Uh, we are drinking something called a Mimeo from Shaker and Spoon. I know the last time we did this um, show, I told you that we were gifted a subscription to... Do you like it? It's quite yummy. Oh, good, good. She said, this looks like tea, but honey, it's not tea. <laughs> we're not spilling tea. Well, we might be spilling tea today, but we're not in our drinks. So anyway, uh, we were gifted a Shaker and Spoon uh, subscription. It's a um, box by box sh- subscription um a uh, month by month box subscription, just like BarkBox or whatever, but it sends you everything but the alcohol to make, I think it's eight drinks, uh, four different drinks. You can make two of each drink. Um, and, or maybe it's, yeah, anyway, we got that for, as a wedding gift back in June and we decided we we're going to do it here because there's weirdo things in the box. So I can't do it on Sigler and Place. So I figured I'd do it here. Weirdo things. Can we go in back place. to the main? Uh, you're going back to the main. Yeah. Scooch a little bit closer to me if you can. Just a smidgen to your left. I will now read you the movie synopsis in movie voice. In a distant galaxy, planet Spaceball has depleted its air supply, leaving its citizens reliant on a product called Perry Air. In desperation, Spaceball's leader, President Scroob, orders the evil Dark Helmet to kidnap Princess Vespa of oxygen-rich Druidia and hold her hostage in exchange for air. But help arrives for the princess in the form of renegade space pilot Lone Star and his half-man, half-dog partner, Barf. And as you guys know, that is the uh, cinematic description to Spaceballs. This is Story Smack. Oh, that's right. Okay, this is Story Smack, a uh, podcast about storytellers and stories in the world of pop culture. My name is A.B. Sigler. I am your co-host. This is Scott Sigler, New York Times international bestseller. And uh, jumped on my intro. I, I trod <laughs> all over the, and it's it's literally it's scripted right here, right up at the top. I even tried to save it, and I anyway, uh, I got lost. Go. Yes, I am Scott Segler, New York Times bestselling author, and while my Schwartz may be tiny. It's also green wrinkled and full of yogurt. So wow, let's keep wow. that in mind. Um, uh, in the chat room today, so we do this, if you are listening to this podcast, we also do this live on Saturdays around 2 p.m. Pacific time. We're trying for twice a month and you can join us and watch it live if you'd like. Uh, so I'm going to answer a couple of questions in the um, chat room. Uh, some more weirdo things that go in the shaker and spoon box are like rice wine vinegar, uh Ses- black sesame paste, things like that that go into your drink. So it would be hard to and expensive to source um, like this teeny tiny little thing. And then we'll move on. I'm showing this teeny tiny little vial. That's orange oil. And to buy that in a reasonable jar for everybody, that would be like maybe 12, 15 bucks. So we're not doing that. <laughs> but it is fun. Let's get into this movie. Uh, Spaceballs released in June 1987, a touch over a decade after Star Wars A New Hope, which is episode one. You can all suck it. It's episode one, and that's all there is to it. Uh, it, it well, it says episode four, but that is the, 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 beginning, the beginning of the great stuff. Spaceballs was produced, written, and directed by comedy giant Mel Brooks. By the time Spaceballs was released, all three of the original trilogy movies had been out for years. A New Hope, which came out in 77, Empire Strikes Back, 1980, and Jedi in May of 1983. 
Yeah, you know, nonetheless, uh, even though all three movies were out, and at that point were starting to be the juggernaut that they, I think, will continue to become, um, they uh, the Spaceballs is loosely based on the plot of the first movie, by which I mean excessively, wholly, completely loosely based. I'm pretty sure that Spaceballs the movie is a parody only with regard to the Millennium Falcon, some okay. of the crew. Yep. And uh, the idea that the crew of the Millennium Falcon were half animal, half human. If we have time, we're going to look this up at the end of the show. Oh, I forgot to do this. Sorry about this. But one of the Star Wars movies, ironically, has been accused of ripping off the plot of Spaceballs with the giant space sky window. And I can't remember which one it is right now, but we'll, we'll maybe we'll get back to it. I'm going to assume it's not one of the first three. No, it's not one of the first three. But yes, we have the, the Han Solo Chewbacca combo. We have Princess Leia. We have uh, there's there's no there's no Luke. Uh, there is no Luke. There yeah. is no Luke in Spaceballs. Of but course, there we is have Darth a, Vader. C three PO. There is a C three PO. No R two D two. But a Star Wars parody without a Luke analog. So really, it's just it's just well. And then there's Michael. I can't remember his name. The the voice beatbox guy. He played yes. a really iconic character that doesn't exist in in the the milieu of Star Wars. Yes. But it was great. And I understand you may have this as one of your um, things. I did not know, but I understand they had created um, this idea of this guy um, and then hired him. Kind of the idea of him, but they saved money. They had scheduled uh, special effects and Foley work that he was able to do with his face. Uh, what was that gentleman's name? We'll go over Michael, that. Look, look that up real quick. Michael. Mom, Which Mom, one are we looking at here? I don't know if that's. Uh, Rogue, Rogue One. Rogue yeah. One is, uh, I don't know. I don't know if, uh, I think Giza Costa is probably. You can translate it or I can translate it. We can give it a second. Okay. We have Michael Winslow. That is a gentleman. Michael Winslow. Michael Winslow. Was, yeah. Thank you, guys. So as usual, uh, we have a ton of problem with uh, spammers coming in the comments on Facebook. We try and manage it from here. But also, uh, I am I am an international superstar, ladies and gentlemen. I have as many as seven fans from places outside of the United States. As many as seven. And occasionally, we get fans who jump in and uh, want to talk about various things in a foreign language a non-English language, and we get confused. We're not sure if that's a real thing or... So most of the time, it's obvious, but... So every now and then, we'll pause. That says, amen, thank you, and good night. So I'm not sure. So we'll Amen, leave. thank you, yeah. and good night. See, I'm glad we did not block her. What a lovely, lovely uh, sentiment to come in. Now, you got to look back at the box office. Uh, it, it, it This was a comedy that did very well at the time. Other movies that come about the same month include Predator, The Untouchables, Roxanne, I love that mm -hmm, movie, mm -hmm. The Witches of Eastwick, Wick and Harry and the Hendersons. So in 87, summer box office was pretty, pretty damn wholesome. You I mean, say. It really, yeah, it really was. If you look at the movies that were out that summer and I'm just those are just movies that came out in June, which is when Spaceballs came out in 1987. But if you look at it, it was back in that day. So I'm 49 years old. I used to go to the movies in the summer a lot because I lived in very sticky time, New York. Right. Time, and, yeah. you know, summertime's hot. So you go. Um, and it's like, I can't imagine a movie like Roxanne getting released to box office success today. I it'd just be, can't. It'd be tough. I can't imagine Harry and the Hendersons becoming a, like charting in the same summer that I would watch a movie like like uh, I don't think I'd ever watch a movie like Spaceballs again like we're not that innocent yeah, yeah. and there a lot of the movies were like that I've always wanted to write a Harry and the Hendersons sequel 
It doesn't Which make is any sense. Harry and the Hendersons, Harry gets rabies. It ends a very different movie. But it's very... not a thing. It's not a thing. There's no, like, we're, we're, we've lost so much innocence that I find it very hard to believe that they would be like, oh, hey, there's a gigantic, gigantic, fuzzy humanoid living with the guy from Night Court. We got to do something about this. This is why I've updated the plot. Harry gets rabies. But there's not a high, a hairy he, giant humanoid. He murders the entire. No, oh wait, the big, Bigfoot. Bigfoot gets rabies and murders the entire family one by one until we're into a final girl scenario, in which she defeats the rabid, the rabid Bigfoot with a bulldozer. It's going to be a great scene. See my point? We can't make wholesome you're, you're movies right. anymore because this you're guy right. exists. Uh, Spaceballs cost twenty-two million U.S. dollars to make, and five million of that was for a very curious expense, which I will cover at the end of the show. Very, very suspicious. It has grossed thirty-eight million all-time adjusted for inflation. Spaceballs has brought in eighty-eight point eight million. Don't screw with me in the math. I just looked it up on the-numbers.com. They said adjusted for inflation, all-time gross, eighty-eight point eight million. That is uh, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. I think that's great. That's great. Uh, Bill Samorgas's Bill and Ted Three was pretty damn wholesome, babe. Yeah, I heard that. I have a handful of friends who watched it last night. I think I might do that. We might not get there this weekend, but maybe next weekend. What makes this movie so great? The plot is fun and silly and slapstick, but what makes it great are the actors. And we're going to go over these actors. Oops, shoot. Well, he's one of them. He is one of them. That's our man, Mel Brooks. Uh, let's do. I get. I don't know how to do this. We'll go boop boop. Boop. I've ruined the surprise. There we go. Well, they, they, here are the actors in no particular order. Some very familiar faces. The ones you recognize right away and the ones you're like, I know I've seen that guy in a dozen movies. This is one of them. George Winder as Colonel Sanders. Yep. At the time. So it's interesting because you're going to go over a whole list of folks. And uh-huh. some of them are, we know very well now, but they were completely unknown at the time. Yeah. Is- so... He ha, shout a, them out when they come up. Was yeah, he, yeah, no, he, no? he was a character actor. Just okay. like you said, you would see him all the time. And I think he didn't necessarily get even more or less famous with Spaceballs. I think he was already maintaining um uh he he already had established himself as a as a car- yeah, a career actor by then. And he played Colonel Sanders and of course the famous line, "What's the matter, Colonel? What's the matter, Colonel Sanders? Are you a chicken?" Which I thought was very deft. And I, well, deft. I bet you were how old in 1987? <laughs> uh, gosh, I guess I would have been 17 or so. So this is an interesting thing. So I, I was a 16 year old that summer, and um, I I feel like when we we watched this over two nights uh, this in the last couple of weeks, and we'll talk more about the actors too in just a second. But I I feel like this theme came up again and again and again, where we were like, I mean, this isn't like bad. Like, I think we've told you on Story Smack that we wanted to Story Smack Up in Smoke and then we attempted to watch Up in Smoke in the 2000s. Did not age and, well. Uh, yeah, in, ni- in, well. 19, in 2019 it, it did not age well. That said, I will say this movie absolutely ages well. Good. I'm not sure it's good. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. I loved the rewatch. It was great. Also starring the amazing the late, Joan, Rivers, Joan Rivers. Late, great Joan Rivers. A lot of people are going to show you right now. They're dead. So brace yourself for a little bit of sadness. Joan Rivers, of course, voiced the character Dot, Dot Matrix. Matrix. C-3PO with a wig. Yeah, well, with a Joan Rivers wig. That's my favorite part about it. <laughs> I don't think I don't think I noticed that. <laughs> yeah. Isn't that great? <laughs> One more look. There's Joan Rivers with her crazy hair, and there's Dot Matrix with her crazy hair as well. What a loss. Uh, this gentleman, I believe, has also lost this gentleman in 2015, Dick Van Patten, uh, formerly of Eight is Enough. Mm-hmm. And he played 
none other than King Roland, the hapless, somewhat daft father to yeah. Daphne Zinica. And I crazy love that he's got this sort of whole Regency royalty thing going on on a <laughs> spaceship. Like, it's so ludicrous. It's, but I love that idea of the throwback. You know, they're parodying it anyway. Make a king look like a king. Like, make him, I mean, Farquaad didn't exist then, but make him look like Farquaad. Yeah. Uh, Tracy Shank asks, are, uh, does this movie, Spaceballs, the movie, age well due to uh, Star Wars being more relevant now? I I think s- to some extent. It's I mean, good. It carries the Star Wars particular and Star Wars continues to be the yeah. biggest fictional story of all time. I, I've mentioned this before on Story Smack, I'm sure. I um, talked to my nephews. They were they were the age that I was when the first three movies came out. They were when the second three movies came out. And they had a different experience than I had watching those second three movies. They, they didn't have the same problems I had. I wonder if getting somebody who wasn't sort of this age, our age, to watch Spaceballs, they'd be like, okay. I, they wouldn't like it. I don't think they would yeah, like so it. Yeah, so I don't know that it's because of Star Wars. I think, though, I now, at, at having gone back to see some of my childhood favorite movies in the 2000s, and in this particular world, I go back and I watch it. And I'm like, ooh, they were super racist super, or they were super, super bigoted or they were super misogynistic or whatever. And and that doesn't exist in this movie. Are, do all the jokes land like they landed when I was 16? Not at all. But do is it worth watching? Totally, totally, totally. Uh Colin Davison is in Scotland, one of my seven international fans. Thank you uh, for showing <laughs> hey, up. Colin. Colin says, Spaceballs is lost on kids these days. Great with Bon Jovi. And that's, to be fair, when Bon Jovi came on Spaceballs, I was like, what, Bon Jovi? Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. actually it's actually pretty, uh, pretty hair metal-y good soundtrack. Now, Daphne Zuniga as... Uh, Princess Vespa. And Daphne, I didn't watch anything she was in, but you watched one of her shows back in the day, did you not? Melrose Place, sure. Melrose Place. Melrose Place. She's a person who gets cast as a reasonably young actor at this point. Oh, so she, she hadn't have... already done no. Melrose Place? No. So this was like her her. I'm launch. not sure. It's, no, because she was she was in other movies too, but but this is definitely pre uh the um the arc of her the height of her popularity as an actor. This comes well before that. Okay, cool. And she did a great job in this. Bill Pullman, who we will talk about later in the show, um, mm-hmm. he was an unknown, right, babe? He was pretty much an unknown, yeah. Same, same as Daphne Zuniga, like, was able to take the role and thrilled to take the role, where we'll talk in a little bit about other actors who, Mel Brooks, who was a pretty big name in 1987. He was huge, he was huge, um, yeah. What, uh, wanted, who were uninterested in doing a parody, and, and Bill Pullman was like, well, yes, sir, of course, <laughs> this would be great, why not? And, and Bill, he got the part. Bill played uh, Lone Star. And I also read that it had been six years since uh, Mel Brooks had made a movie when this came out. Mm, yeah. Makes sense. We'll talk about that a little bit later, too. And then, of course, now we start to get into the major star power, which is why Mel Brooks was able to cast unknowns in lead, lead roles, because he had this gentleman. Uh, post Ghostbusters, I believe, mm-hmm. and Rick Moranis was, uh, of course, he is part of the Great White North. Take off you hosers, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So SCTV, Ghostbusters, probably some other stuff. This is pre Honey I Shrunk the Kids. Before you guys may not know this, at one point the highest grossing actor of all time was the dude you're looking at right now. Mm-hmm. Isn't that nuts? <laughs> if you look at you look at the Ghostbusters, the Honey I Shrunk the Kids franchise, which was the big one, he was made of money. Made this of is money. one of my um, Darth Helmet is or Dark Helmet is one of my favorite um, uh, favorite characters in this movie because um, Rick Moranis was a big Star Wars fan, uh, Mel Brooks and uh, was a big Rick Moranis fan, 
And uh, there are a couple of little things, and I don't want to tread. I don't know what is in your list of things that, that everybody knows. But there's this lovely uh, improv moment where, because of SCTV, Mel Brooks knows that um, uh, uh, Rick Moranis is an improver, and he comes into one scene, and it's the scene where D- Dark Helmet is playing with the bride and groom dolls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Mel Brooks was like, wait a minute. And he was like, oh, I was just kind of workshopping something. And he's like, no, 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 go with that. And so that scene is actually mostly improvised <laughs> because Mel Brooks was like, yeah, please go ahead. <laughs> Excuse me. Excuse me. That is phenomenal. And then uh, the late, great Mr. John Candy. Mm. Planes, oh, trains, and automobiles. Also an Bar SCTV. Bartholomew. Bartholomew. Is Barf, as, as of course, this uh, iconic character, Barf. Uh, John Candy, one of the great wholesome comedians of the Mm -hmm. 80s. Uh, It's a bummer. It's a bummer, but she is no longer self-deprecating, but really so deft in his roles. This is another thing that might be on your list, too, but I don't want to step on. Go for it. um, They had made a full face mask, just like just like. Chewy, uh-huh. uh, but it was going to be this half dog, half half man, and so it, it sort of would still have ears. It would still have the eye, the eye um, birthmark that mm-hmm. he has here. Mm-hmm. And Mel Brooks was like, which I totally love because he he's a New Yorker and he's a Jew, right? So you could totally hear this in his voice. He apparently said like. If I, I mean, if I'm going to put a mask on his face, I could hire somebody for half the price. Like, I want John Candy. Like, I, I, like I could get any big guy to be in a mask. Come on. If you guys watch this again, watch for uh, the subtleties uh, of the ears and the tail. Uh, just John Candy was able to make jokes with somebody controlling a prosthetic tail for him and doing nothing else. And it was very, this sounds ludicrous to say, for such a slap, for a slapstick parody comedy his performance in this is lights out it's just amazing and then of yeah. course the, the man the myth the all legend powerful one of the funniest human beings ever the creator of blazing saddles and uh and history of the world part one mm. uh, amazing amazing individual mel brooks who played two roles he was president scroob with that fantastic fantastic mustache and uh, <laughs> there also he is as yogurt. And I mentioned my yogurt issue earlier, so we won't bring that up again. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, It's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is now what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? 
Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. So, uh, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting. And I love that yogurt is the, is the version of Mel Brooks that you have up here. Mel Brooks is so influential in, in American cinema, so influential. And he really did do a huge amount of social commentary mm-hmm. as spoofs and parodies. There's Blazing Saddles, History of the World Part One. There's Silent Movie. There's Young Frankenstein. Oh, Young God, Frankenstein yes. is his, which was lovely. Robin Hood, Men in Tights, which was in the, I think it came out in the early, early 90s, which a lot <sighs> wow. of people hate, but I Love. Oh, I love it. I love it. Um, I love it. And uh, High Anxiety was his. Uh, Dracula Dead and Loving It oh, was his. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, Spaceballs. And all of those, I would suspect, after having watched Spaceballs, are probably still the Mel Brooks that we know. You know, he, a lot of his um, personality and morality came from having served in World War II mm-hmm. as a Jew. Okay. And uh, so a lot of that, yeah, of course, Noisy, yeah, Noisy yeah. Astronomer says the producers too, which he did on Broadway and in real life. I mean, in comedy life, real life, movie life. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting thing because this is one of the things I wonder, you know, it works both ways. Mel Brooks, to, to me, at my age, is, mm-hmm. a, is, an, is a lion in the industry. He's, He's, yes. He changed the face of cinema in the United States. The reality is somebody who's 20 years old right now will eventually appreciate that what Mel Brooks did, just like we appreciated the, the 70s decade that we didn't see until the 90s and the 2000s, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. That said, there are people right now making great you know, social commentary movies that are, you know, brand new on the scene. So we won't understand their relevancy for a a couple of decades, but there's for sure another Mel Brooks out there. And that is the thing I keep thinking to make it hurt a little less that Mel Brooks is no longer The seminal one to me has got to be Blazing Saddles. Oh, for sure. Way back, was that 80, early 80s? Mm, Early 80s. Mel Brooks. 1974. 1974. And Mel Brooks in a major Hollywood film decides I'm going to cast a black male lead in this comedy and it if gene wilder it's uh and then they the all of the jokes within the movie about the racial content the racial proponent were that was kind of his commentary and mm-hmm. his parody we didn't have any of that in Spaceballs. Spaceballs was a, a, a little bit digging on capitalism and commercialism and merchandising uh that's if you look at the bottom of your screen it says Spaceballs, the lower third caption i want to make sure we were right on point with that uh let's see here uh in a lot of ways, this movie fits in with the 80s, 96-minute runtime, so it is oh, slapdash on-the-nose humor. Wait, uh, yeah, sorry. Yep, that's oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sorry. Um, so I mentioned this earlier today, or earlier in this cast. We talked about this the first day. We watched it over two nights, and the first night I was like, you know, gosh, this is fine. There's nothing wrong with it, but it's not as funny as I remember. And you were kind of like... No, I think it is. Like you were much more willing to give it the grace from before. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was insistent, like, it, there's nothing wrong with this. It's just I am more mature than I used to be. And I think those were less mature jokes. Turns out I'm just looking at it through a different lens. It has nothing to do with the movie. It has to do with me because the second half just sings, right? So yeah, I think, the second half crushes. So I think I just remembered the second half <laughs> is all. Uh, listen, the fact that you did not like the beginning of this movie, here's what I have to say to that. 
<laughs> you have the release. And I see your Schwartz is as big as mine. Uh-oh. Now let's see how well you handle it. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a perfect example, and I hope we don't, don't get dinged for copyright, but this is exactly my point. Like, me, as me at this age, and, you know, assigned female at birth, I, and assigned female as an adult, too, I am like, oh, geez, oh, I hope this 80s dick joke goes well. Like, I just do, right? I can't that's help That's the it. name of my new metal band, 80s dick jokes. That's, I, the, that's it. And my, my memoir would be like, oh, geez, I hope this dick joke goes well. <laughs> But the reality is that's a pretty wholesome thing to say, you know? That's a pretty oh, wholesome way to make a, a dick joke. It just is. And that, uh, this is why Mel, Mel Brooks uh, is still a genius in my book and resonates with me because you guys may have noticed on the various casts that we do, I make a lot of dick jokes, poop jokes, fart jokes. I'm very erudite. I'm way up there. Way up there. I am well, amongst the you classiest... At least as classy as Mel Brooks. At least as classy as Mel Brooks. So now here I am. Also Jerry Stiller. Uh, Jerry Stiller, yes. Yeah. A middle-aged dude. And I watch Mel Brooks, at this point, 40-year-old dick comedy, dick jokes, and I'm laughing my butt off. I'm, I'm laughing. I love it. Listen. Okay. A. Yes. A, guess what? No. Um, guess uh, chicken what? butt. No. There may be some things you don't know. <gasps> some things you don't know about... Uh, blazing Saddles. We were up late last night, and you can we were, see... We were up late last night doing nothing. Nothing. Yeah. Laughing, having a couple of beverages. But, which I really mean. We were up doing nothing. We were like, wait a minute, it's so late, we gotta go to bed. Something happens during lockdown where you're like, cool, let's just have a, let's just have a date night where we stay up like we were yeah. nine years old. Let's not turn on the TV, let's just stay up, <laughs> not watching any news. We're going to talk about nothing. I may have told a fart joke. I'm not sure if I did. Oh, no, we watched a manifest. We did watch a manifest. Watch also, episode of manifest. The best ma- episode yet, I thought. Yeah, it episode, was the best Season two, episode we very, 10. It was very, very excited. Yeah. Uh, that show has been hit and miss for us. We're watching it. We're on season two. But uh, season one is pretty good. Season two had its ups and downs. But at episode 10 of season two of manifest, I was like, you could see all the work, all the architecture start to come together. Uh, I really enjoy that. So let's go. Here's some of the things yeah, that you don't know. I'm interested. Number one, uh, it was not the first star Wars parody film. Did you know that? No, but it is the best <laughs> amateur filmmaker. Ernie Fossilis was so enamored with star Wars in 1977. He cobbled together a 12 minute short hardware wars, which he shot for $8,000 in an abandoned laundromat. The film embraced its piddling budget by featuring toasters, flashlights, and bits of tinfoil to substitute for space debris. Charmingly, charmingly hokey, Hardware Wars became, an Im- became immediately profitable, earning roughly $500,000 in 1978, which now is like a billion two, I think. It was even declared a cute little film by George Lucas. Fossilis had, offer exp- had offers to expand it to feature length, but he passed. He would later seem slightly perturbed by Spaceballs saying it quoted his efforts. And um, let's go back to... Here we go. Gamers, where was I? Shoot. Clips. Turn that off. And this, I sped this up to try and avoid copyright violations, uh, but here we go. Hardware Wars. I can't even believe if we get a hardware or a hardware violation. A copyright. Oh, Lord. Android. With actual buns. <laughs> you had cinnamon rolls for breakfast. I did. Ham salad. Dark Nigger. 
<laughs> a flying toaster. I remember seeing this, man. I remember I seeing not. this when it came out. No, you don't. I do. I was on TV or something. Okay. There was no internet then. With the amusing antics of Space Drones 4Q2 and RT Deco. RT Deco is pretty good. The best. What do you mean? Is that a Yeah, I think so. Rice cooker. Rice cooker. When you were old enough. Watch the lightsaber tech. <laughs> so good. It works. That is what the X Files used a handful of years later. Is that, is that a Muppet? Yes. <laughs> the trailer even has missing dialogue. It's so good. Oh, Lord. Are we going to do things like have to do like the Attack of the Killer Tomatoes or anything? Because I'll buy We might. Get in line now. Um, I love it. So uh, this is something that you may know because you have the list of things that people may not know. But um, Mel Brooks, like I said, when he's making this movie in 1987, he's a made guy, right? He's oh, making yeah. this movie with MGM. He's totally made. He also is a good guy. And he's like, you know, I know that this is fair, fair use. Like we talked to the lawyers. It's all fair use. I'm sending it to George Lucas. I just am. Yep. And George Lucas said this was fun. Uh, I do have a point on that. Slightly different. It shows the Machiavellian criminal side of George Lucas, which we're oh, going to talk the, about. The, yeah. We're going to talk about that. Mel Brooks wanted to call it Planet Moron. Uh, the commissary 20th century Fox lot in 1984. Brooks was sitting down to eat when a studio executive abruptly asked what his next project was going to be. And Brooks yelled back, Planet Moron! And uh, possibly referring to his unsolicited interrogator. The title spurred Brooks and, his, Brooks and his collaborators to develop what would become Spaceballs Planet Moron. They had to abandon the name when Morons from Outer Space came out. And I know I've seen Morons from Outer Space, but I can't remember Morons from Outer Space. Colin, I'm with you. That was totally a Muppet. It was like they got it's, a cookie monster and yep, just dyed him poop they brown. Did. They'd poop brown, poop, poop brown cookie monster. That's the new name of my 80s metal, metal band. Poop brown cookie monster. Um, they... He's trying, Mel has been trying to say they just put balls in as screwballs and it wasn't meant to be space balls. Sh- sure, sure. We know, we know you're making a, a reference to things. Now, as my lovely wife mentioned, George Lucas gave his conditional blessing. This is my favorite. Satire is generally exempt from litigation, but Brooks was an admirer of Lucas's work and wanted to get his permission before starting in the movie. Working on a, quote, funny, end quote, movie of his own, Howard the Duck, not funny, horrible, Lucas agreed, but only in the condition that no, spa- no Spaceballs merchandising was made available. Remember, where George Lucas became a billionaire is when they put out Star Wars, the movie, uh, the, the company that put it out, I can't, 20th Century, whoever, was like, yeah, whatever, merchandising, you can keep it, it's fine. And the, as you know, many billions of dollars have been done by selling Star Wars merchandise. But so that's how they got rich. What I love about this is um, Mel Brooks took the the spirit of the law and also the letter of the law, right? And I think, uh, you know, I have to imagine that George Lucas, smart man, huge movie buff, mm-hmm. has to be, right? There's no way he can't be both of those things. And so then he has a meeting with Mel Brooks, who says, and he says, yeah, I love this, but you can't do marketing because market, we got all these Star Wars things happening. Yeah. And um, what? Oh, merchandising. Merchan- what did I say? Marketing. Oh, sorry. Merchandising. Yes. And then when the merchandising part of the movie Spaceball starts, <laughs> it is so incredibly on the nose and lovely, right? And yeah. so you know George Lucas watched it and was like, 
Well, well, I I tip my hat to you. Well played. And to this day, there is no Spaceballs merchandise. And this was, I think this is uh, valid. Uh, Brooks told Starlog in 1987, the Lucas people were upset about just one aspect of Spaceballs. They didn't think it was fair for Mel Brooks and company to take off and then merchandise their characters that were take off of the characters. So, and of course... To this day, Star Wars merchandising is the biggest revenue source for that whole franchise. So that was fair. Hey, Gary Lindos, how are you? I hope you are staying Moy- dry. You're way, <laughs> way, um, way south, but I know you're in, not in the path of the, the uh, whoa, wow, things got away from us in the, in the, uh, in the comments, in the comments but I Ma- hope you and your family are safe. I know that it's bad weather over there on the East Coast, but I don't think it's hitting you. Nelson McClintock uh, brings up the very valid product, Spaceballs the Merkin. That's which... the thing that got me for Clemp <laughs> that I couldn't finish talking. The movie was shot over a giant swimming pool. Michael Winslow, best known as the sound effects guy from Police Academy series, said in 2012, Spaceballs was shot in the MGM lot in Culver City, California. In the heyday of movies focusing on swimmers like Esther Williams, the studio had constructed a giant pool that could be covered with with retractable flooring. Spaceballs also used the same soundstage as 1939's The Wizard of Oz. The crew would occasionally find stray pieces of the yellow brick road. When Dude, milling can you, around. Can you even imagine that? Can you imagine being like even an extra, like brand new to Hollywood or maybe not brand new? Like you got an agent. You're going to have a couple of walk on parts in this movie. You're getting paid scale, but it's going to be great. And then you show up every day for two months to the to the studio where the Wizard of Oz was being right made. on that stage. And yeah. you show up to do a parody that includes, you know, an empathetic uh Tin Man with No Heart, called C-3PO. And uh, a wayward hero. I did not realize that. Yeah. And a wayward hero. And a damsel in distress. And guess what? Her little fucking dog, too. Holy shit. Have you never seen I've never. Is there. That's amazing. That is not my theory, but that's a theory that has been going around a long time. And if you think of it, I think um, it's a pretty... At least you can see the the recognizable human angle. If you're going to put a story in space, have, you know, a fuzzy something everybody can love. Have a guy looking for heart. Have a, you know, if I only had a brain, you know, all that. And that exists in the Star Wars movies and absolutely exists. Fabulous. Uh, in in Spaceballs 2. Number five, Bill Pullman was Brooks' third choice. According to Bill Pullman, the actor who had not yet had a starring role was approached by Brooks only after Tom Cruise and Tom Hanks turned down the role of Lone Star, the Han Solo-esque lead of the film. Uh, Now, I can't even see Tom Cruise in the role just because all of his leading man roles are... Not comedy, like even the ones that are not action, yeah, but, like Magnolia or whatever. But then there's Tropic Thunder, where he just cr- crushes. Yeah, but that's not a leading role, right? Right. So, like, if he had been Robert Downey Jr. in that movie, I, I feel like that's a different thing, right? And Robert Downey Jr. has that uh, leading man who's all fierce, all jawline, all beard, all I have you, madam. Yeah, all that. But funny, and he does that a lot. That's Iron Man. He's done that over and over and over and over again. Tom Cruise has ab- is a deft actor, absolutely yeah, yeah. good at his job. But when he does roles that are not leading man, charming, chiseled chin, their movies more like Magnolia or uh, Tropic Thunder or things like that, where he's sort of quirky and vulnerable. But I can totally see a movie like this with Tom Cruise. I can. Uh, I could. Well, I. I 
I mean, Tom my, Hanks, sorry, Tom yeah, Hanks. My first experience with Tom Hanks, of course, for many people our age, was Bosom Buddies and, right. uh, so if he and could do Bachelor that. Party. That dude would have done good. But I'm thrilled that Bill Pullman got the role, and Bill Pullman has gone on to have a wonderful, wonderful career. The crew thought working with green screen might damage their eyes. Spaceballs took its effects seriously, and the cast and crew needed to spend a lot of time in front of a green screen. At the time, the process was still relatively new, and production had a suspicion that the environment might be damaging to a person's eyesight. When this unfounded concern comes to mind, Pullman and the cast wore sunglasses in between the shots. That's okay. That's weird. But, uh... Brooks had Better a, safe than sorry, you guys. Brooks had a bad reaction to his yogurt makeup, number seven. In addition to directing and co-writing, Brooks had two roles in the film, one as Scrooge and another as Yogurt, the diminutive yoga equivalent. In 2012, yoga. Yo, yoga. You said... Yogurt. <laughs> no, you said yogurt and yoga. It's yoga. Yo, yogurt it's and yogurt. Yoda. Yogurt and Yoda. Gotcha. <laughs> uh, we need to get more sleep before we do these shows. <laughs> He had an, he told the AV Club he had an allergic reaction to latex, which created a rash that spread to his eyes. Brooks also only gave the team one hour to apply his makeup. If it t- took any longer, he insisted he'd. Get, I wish I had known that. I, I don't want to think if about Mel Brooks being long- a prima donna. What did he say? If it took any if it longer? took longer than an hour, he was out of the chair. He's like, "Forget you! I'm going to go and I'm going to do the shoot. I'll come back later." Uh, Dot Matrix was a famous mime voiced by Joan Rivers. The service robot Dot Matrix was actually inhabited by Lauren Yarnell. One part of a largely forgotten mime duo of Shields and Yarnell, which somebody mentioned in the comments Absolutely, earlier. Absolutely, yeah. The two had a variety show in the 70s that featured a recurring skit called The Clinkers, a robot couple that allowed the performers to show off some impressively stilted moves. In real life, Shields and Yarnell were married for a time. Their ceremony was performed in pantomime. I don't know if that's legally binding, but okay. Uh, before you continue to the next one, uh, yep. uh, Amy Reed says uh, Tom Cruise in Night and Day was kind of like that. I agree with you. Uh, yeah, he's. this is not his strong suit to be self-deprecating and uh, goofy very much. Although Beth Copenhaver also brings up Rain Man, which is a huge departner, departure and absolutely a leading role and different from him. Yet again, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call it. Tom Cruise can do slapstick, and I've seen him do slapstick well. Tom Cruise, absolutely wonderful actor. I'm glad he wasn't this guy. Uh, In case we haven't mentioned it, Dom DeLuise played the voice of Jabba the Hutt. Uh, number 10, Barf's ears upstaged the actors. John Candy, who played the half-dog, half-man Barf, was usually trailed on set by Lazzarini and the effects crew, who had to control both his tail and his ears. At one point, Lazzarini was told by Brooks that he didn't have to, don't have to move the ears so much. They were, oh, we go. They were too active in scenes, focusing on other characters. Candy, incidentally, performed with a 40-pound battery backpack strapped to him to control the animatronics. Which is the thing, you know, when people say... Like, and this is a, a long and storied part of Hollywood history, right? Like, um, comedy is just not as hard as drama, right? It's super easy. It's a known quantity. If you're a strong actor who is a female who takes off all her makeup and doesn't shower for two days, you win an Oscar. Yep. Charlize Theron has done this, not because she took off her makeup, but because she fucking rocked it. Mm-hmm. But those are outside attributes. Uh, Halle Berry did it in Monsters Ball. You see it a whole lot. Something they played on in Tropic Thunder a lot too. Exactly, right. Yeah. You see it a whole lot. That said, when Marissa Tomei wins her Oscar for my biological clock ticking like this in My Cousin Vinny, everybody's like, what? And it blows their mind. But comedy is hard. Yeah. Comedy is hard because you have to sell that no matter what's happening in your life. And I think that gets uh, hidden a lot. And John Candy was so incredibly, incredibly talented at that. Mm -hmm. And you think, 
Like a super funny comedian like, I don't know, John Mulaney? Could he could he do the jokes? Sorry, plane going by if you hear it. Um yeah. sure. Could he wear a 40-pound backpack for eight hours of shooting? Probably he'd do his best. I, I think that would snap skinny John Mulaney in half like But this is my point. Like, there's some magic that <laughs> actors do that is just literally tenaciousness. Yeah. You can picture John Kenny be like, hey, you know what? I've been trying to control my weight for years, and now it comes in handy because I can wear this backpack. Right, no I'm problem. Control- controlling these 40 pounds <laughs> like nobody's business. Now we get to the criminal gangster extortion hey, Gordy element. Nice to see Gordy, you. what's up, dog? Uh, oh, I also may have said hey, job of the hut. Same to you. Uh, Dom Delu's voice of pizza. Pizza the hut. Pizza the hut. For any of you who is not familiar, because you're young enough to not realize, Pizza the hut. Pizza hut was an in restaurant dining establishment <laughs> when this movie came out. Yep. Uh, Lucas loved the movie, perhaps because Brooks paid him off. One of Brooks' strategies to ensure continued cooperation from Lucasfilm was to book their services for post production worth nearly five million, over almost twenty five percent of the movie's budget. Uh, you know, I did not have any real trouble, Brooks said. I called Lucas and I said, hey, I want you guys in San Francisco at the ranch or whatever to do all the post-production for the movie. And he said, oh, great, great. And Lucas later wrote Brooks a note saying how much he loved the movie. Uh, number 12. This is, I did not know this. This is fabulous. There we go. R.L. Stein wrote a novelization of Space Balls. Mm-hmm. Film comedies. Partic- uh, R.L. Stein, who? Wait, what else? He wrote Goosebumps. Goosebumps. Yes, R.L. Stein. Oh my God, Goosebumps. I've also initiated a new on-screen graphics policy, which requires cutting me off. My partner to snuggle up, Ow. to snuggle up. And well, I, I try not to bap her in the, in the mouth oh next time. Oh my God, <laughs> It was supposed to be romantic, and I wound up giving a backhand to the to the, sh- to the nose. Film to the com- Schwartz. To the Schwartz. Film comedies, particularly those relying on broad visual gags, are rarely fodder for tie-in novelizations, but perhaps that was the joke. To accompany the release of the film, a pre-goosebumps, pre-goosebumps R.L. Stein, let's take that book off so you can see my baby, pre-goosebumps R.L. Stein wrote Spaceballs, the book, uh, a young adult version of the story that substituted some of the stronger language and bits for child-friendly content and remains the only exclusion to Lucasfilm's no tie-in mandate. Let's take one more look. Hey, Shannon. At that, that is great. So pre-Spaceballs, or pre-Goosebumps, R.L. Stein wrote the novelization to Spaceballs, getting around the the only one to get... Somebody want to dump here, babe? No, I think it's fine. Okay. The animated series spoofed the prequel trilogy. While Spaceballs performed modestly during its initial release, it was rediscovered by audiences by following in the wake of persistent interest in all things Star Wars. When Lucasfilm's prequel trilogy was wrapping up in 2005, Brooks produced and directed a 13-episode season of Spaceballs, the animated series. Daphne, Zuniga, and Joan Rivers were, along with Brooks, the only returning cast members. Finally, the 14th thing you may not know about Spaceballs, with which we will close up our show. Rick Moranis, who played Dark Helmet, retired from acting in the 90s to focus on his family and his musical career. In 2013, he told Hebe Magazine, which makes me uncomfortable, that Brooks was interested in a sequel, which Moranis suggested could be titled Spaceballs 3, The Search for Spaceballs 2. The film had, by this point, done very well on home video. Brooks was only lukewarm in the idea, and Moranis found the financial offer underwhelming. Brooks, who has never done a sequel joke during the film's production that a follow-up would have entitled Spaceballs 2, The Search for More Money. Uh, I will also say Rick Moranis, even though that's entirely true, that he retired from acting. He retired from acting because his wife, uh, who was at the time, they had young children and she was the primary parent taking care of the children because he was making Rick Moranis movies, uh, died of cancer. 
and uh, he didn't want his kids not to have a parent in their life, so he retired to raise them, and I have all sorts of respect for that. And it seems like he hasn't missed a single moment of his film career because he had a, a whole life of his family's. Yes. Right. Which all- is really rare to be able to do, and that he did it was lovely. There's also some scuttlebutt, and this is not, this is rumors that float around a place called the Internet, that Rick Moranis was the anchor problem for getting a Ghostbusters sequel, a third Ghostbusters movie made because he was shockingly powerful and with the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids franchise. Mm -hmm. Uh, And he, he, I believe he would have commanded a salary higher than the rest of them combined, including Bill Murray. And he just didn't want to do it. He was busy taking care of family stuff. Right. Like, like, it's an interesting thing. Like I've seen a couple of, there's a, there was a lovely, I can't even remember when, but if I think of it, I'll go post it in the story smack, uh, on the Story Smack page, if I can find it at um, at Facebook, okay, there was an, a Vanity Fair article years ago where he he had to make the decision: does he does he want you know because it's a time versus money thing, right? Does he want to have all the money in the world so that his kids can do anything they want, or does he want them to have parents or a parent? And that's what he chose. So it's an interesting thing. I'm sure it would have cost a zillion dollars after Honey, I Shrunk the Kid. But but I think he didn't come back to it because it wasn't worth leaving his job, which was raising his family for. Yeah. I mean, which it, is I, amazing. He also strikes me as the guy's like, I don't need any more money. I've made more money well, than I'll ever and, know and what and to spend. Not, and I just don't want to do this anymore. And that's, you know, you, we all see people who make these outsized paychecks as as completely viable by the money. But that's not it at all. There's a handful of people, actors, musicians athletes, everybody who are about making enough money to take care of their family. Robert Rodriguez, who is a world-renowned director, Mm -hmm. literally was like, yeah, I'll take this movie because I want my kids to be able to see a thing I did. And that became the the Spy Kids franchise. Mm -hmm. But his whole goal was not to make a whole new movie franchise. It was... So, you know, all of his other movies were dark and full of guns and, and death and blood, and he wanted something that his kids could see. Why don't you read uh, Boz's comment for the folks at home? Uh... Boss is saying right now he's having a story snack. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> That's a thing I might add to story snack, like a relevant to a the story movie snack. snack. Uh, yeah. Okay. Wouldn't that I, be fun? I'd be happy to eat. That'd yeah. be great. Uh, we our next story snack will be the gamers' hands of fate. The sort of sequel to The Gamer's Darkness Rising, which we did a couple story smacks ago. Uh, This movie, Gamer's Hands of Fate, appears to be completely free on YouTube. So if you were to go look that up, you'd be able to watch it. I'm sure it's also on Netflix. Um, Netflix? Where do we watch it, baby? uh, Amazon Amazon. Prime, I think. It's probably on Amazon Prime free. What's the first one called? Do you remember? It's The Gamer's Darkness Rising, which is a a D&D people... Two worlds are D&D gamers playing and then their actual characters playing out in real time. And uh, Hands of Fate is the playable card game version of the D&D world. So Magic the Gathering and things of that nature. So we are definitely going to watch Hands of Fate. We'll come back two weeks from now, two weeks from 2 p.m. Pacific time on Saturday. And that day of the week. I'll look it up. I can do this. Yeah, he's going to look up which specific day. We're going to watch Hands of Fate. We did episode That would be September 12th. September 12th, 2 p.m. Pacific time. Look up what that means for you. We're going to do the Hands of Fate story smack live right here where you're watching right now. The first movie in that series, which is worth watching, I will tell you, they are very low-key, very homemade, very indie, is called... Uh, it is called The Gamer's Darkness Rising. Both are worth it. We did a Darkness Rising Twitch live stream review. It's not in the podcast feed. So if you're listening to this, 
That would have been the Phantom episode 52. We had trouble with the Twitch stream, so we didn't put it in the feed. But watch them both if you have time. They're real short. They're real funny. They're real lovely. You should watch them both in time for September 12th at 2 p.m. All right. And that is it for us for episode 54 of Story Smack. Yeah, that is. So if you would like to find Scott and I online, Scott is at Scott Sigler on Twitter and Instagram. And his Facebook page is Facebook.com slash Scott Sigler. As always, I am at a real girl on Twitter and a dot real dot girl on Instagram. You can find us both online at facebook.com slash storiesmack. You can watch us stream Storiesmack live like you just did if you're here visually at facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, twitch.tv dash or dash Scott Sigler, and youtube.com slash Scott Sigler. We would love to have you join a live stream. We try to do this every two Saturdays a month. In addition to Story Smack, we do a twice-weekly live stream called Sigler in Place. It is on Tuesdays and Thursdays, uh, right here where you're watching this. I just mentioned Facebook.com slash Scott Sigler, Twitch.tv slash Scott Sigler, and YouTube.com slash Scott Sigler. All those S's get to me sometimes. Yes. <laughs> um, and... Scott releases an unabridged episode of whatever novel he is currently um, podcasting. It is serialized but unabridged. You can get it uh, every Sunday via iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more. Just go to scottsigler.com slash subscribe for any links. We do hope you subscribe. We hope you join us. Do it. Every other Saturday is the goal here. We're just getting ramped up on doing the live Story Smack. So the, it, you can expect two weeks from now at 2 p.m. Pacific time for us to be here with Story Smack. You can also expect us at two, on Tuesday at 6 p.m. right here where you watch this live. And until this next episode, we will, we will talk, talk to you all real soon. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 